Well, it is easy to be constrained by chapter breaks in our studies and have a tendency to study the things of the suffering servant, the beautiful picture of our Lord sending a servant to die for sins who makes intercession for the transgressors as Isaiah 53 concludes, and then stop reading Isaiah. And there's so much more that continues on. Though there's a big 54 right here in your Bible, Isaiah's not done. Isaiah has far more to tell us about what this work of the servant is going to accomplish for us. And in this chapter in Isaiah 54, we're going to see uh, perhaps one of the most beautiful things that Christ accomplishes uh, for his people and for the world through his sacrifice. And so we're going to look at this covenant that is established that Isaiah speaks about. I want you to notice just the first word after of, of Isaiah 54, after describing the suffering of the servant, the salvation that is going to be accomplished through the servant, intercession is made because he pours out his soul into death and he's numbered with the transgressors. Very first word now is seeing. Notice see that in chapter 54, verse 1. Calling forth, break forth into singing and cry aloud. There is to be joyful noise that is to occur because of what has been accomplished. There is a, a joyful response. As people now learn about what the servant has done for the world, his sacrifice for sins that have been made. Notice verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear... Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people your your desolate desolate cities. Notice this this beautiful image. He says, I want everybody to sing. I want everybody to be joyful. And, and the picture is that the barren, the desolate, is now going to have children and going to have many more children than the married. And if you keep Isaiah's picture in mind, Isaiah has this image that the people are desolate because of their sins. They're broken, they're forsaken, they're are no longer in favor with God because of the sins that they've committed. And now we've seen in chapter 52, there's going to be redemption, there's going to be salvation, there's going to be peace. Chapter 53, it's the servant who's going to bring that peace. Chapter 54, now it's a declaration of rejoice and sing because now you're not forsaken anymore. Now the desolate is no longer weeping, no longer sorrowful, no longer destroyed by sin. Now there is to be joy. Now there is supposed to be hope. And along with that is this imagery that comes from Abraham and Sarah. You have the Apostle Paul who will quote this in Galatians chapter 4 when he speaks of the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the married and ties it back to Abraham and Sarah. And the reason why that's important is when you hear these words, now the desolate is going to have children. We're not supposed to read that and go, well, isn't that nice? You know, I know it's really bad that when a woman can't have kids and now isn't it great that she can have kids? Yay, children. It's not the point. The point is very much about covenant. Remember what God had promised to Abraham 
in those promises that are given to him, though he's not able to have children and though Sarah's not able to have children, there is a promise that they are going to have an offspring. And it would be through that offspring that all the nations of the earth be blessed. It would be through this offspring that these people would be children of God. And that is what this is referring to when we read about these children and offspring in this chapter. I want you to have in mind that he is describing the covenant people of God. He is describing the people who belong to the family of God. And that's what he's going to lay out as he describes these blessings of belonging to him is that now I want you to see something. I want you to see that what looked impossible in the days of Abraham was now going to have a miracle brought about by God so that they were going to have a child named Isaac and through him all the nation be blessed. And it is that imagery that God is going to work a miracle so that God is going to have numerous offspring. And when we read what Isaiah has been talking about in this prophecy, that shouldn't be possible because of all of our sins. We shouldn't be in covenant relationship with him. We shouldn't be able to call him our father. We shouldn't be able to experience the blessings. But now there is the ability for the desolate to rejoice. Now there is the ability for the barren to have many children. In fact, did you notice the description that he gives here? And he says in verse 2, enlarge the tent. Pull back the curtains. Let them be stretched out. Lengthen the stakes. Get them really wide. Get the tent really large because it's going to be very numerous. All of the offspring that are going to be coming in. And now remember what Isaiah said in the suffering servant section that is really important why this would be declared here. Remember what it says there after chapter 53 in verse 10. We describe the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. He makes his life the guilt offering. He's going to die as a sacrifice for sins. He is the restitution offering for the world. And in the very next line in verse 10, he will see his offspring. The Lord has acted in such a way and has brought about this through the servant. So that there will be the covenant people of God. That there will be the children of God. The family of God. And Isaiah is now looking at that and saying, The servant has accomplished it so that the children can be numerous. He says, enlarge the tent. In fact, it's going to be so large that he uses the imagery in verse 3. And he says, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations. They're going to be everywhere. Children are going to be all over the place. And so what you have is this picture of everybody is desolate, broken, forsaken because of sins. But God is accomplishing a great work through the death of the servant. So now there can be rejoicing and that all can now be the children of God again. And then you notice this great declaration, verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. 
For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth. He has called you. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved of spirit. Like a wife of the youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Notice the imagery that says, you're no longer going to be ashamed. Before, yes, you were one that was grieved, you were deserted, you were cast off. And Isaiah's pictured that because of sins, you were separated from your God. But he doesn't leave his people in that condition. He now comes to them and says, I will be your husband. I will call you back to me. I am calling for you to be my children. I'm calling for you to be my people. And he used this imagery of him as the husband and we as the wife and picturing you can now be back in relationship with your God again. Verse 7, yes, there was desertion because of sin, but with great compassion. Passion, I will gather you. And then verse 8 is the most amazing of all. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Here is your Redeemer. I will show compassion to you again. I will show everlasting love to you. And so God is calling out to the earth. The Son has been sacrificed for sins. And now God makes the call to the world and says, you can be my people again. Would you come back in? I'm calling you back into relationship. I'm calling you to belong to me because you get to be the children of God. You get to be the offspring. You get to enjoy the promises of God and the blessings of God that God has restored this relationship. And so sing for joy for God has called you back in and then he says perhaps the most amazing part it was our reading for the text this morning and if there's anything you zero in on please zero in on this in verse 9 this is like the days of Noah to me as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth okay God made a promise back there in the days of Noah remember really bad situation sin everywhere Thoughts of the people were continually wicked. God floods the earth. And then he says, I will never do that again. I will not flood the earth again. And I make that promise. And now God says, and I want you to know that I've made another promise that I will not revoke, that I will not change. Verse 9, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you. I will not rebuke you for the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you that is shocking and I hope you just kind of soak in what he just said right there God says I love my people so passionately And I have so much compassion on them and I care about them so much. I'm creating a covenant. It is going to be called the covenant of peace. 
And it's never going to be removed. Ezekiel uses the same imagery in Ezekiel 37. He calls it the everlasting covenant. And he's saying, I'm not going to revoke it. I'm establishing a covenant that's not going to be taken away. The reason why that should be so shocking to us is because what he's telling us is that we as sinful people are breaking this covenant like crazy and God says, I'm not going to retract it. Where God has every right to say, now here I have sent my son to die for sins. Will you follow me, love me and obey me? And I give you a covenant and the world says no and breaks his laws. God has every right to say, I pull back the covenant then. He could do like Hebrews 8 and finding fault with them because there is fault with us. But God says, in my compassion, I'm not taking this covenant back. There will always be an opportunity to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. And it doesn't matter how serious those sins may be. God says, I'm not revoking my steadfast love. I am not taking my compassion back. My covenant of peace will not be removed. That is an amazing God who continues to uphold his end of the covenant and calls his people to come back to him. Calling people in spite of the fact that they rebel against the covenant, that this is an everlasting covenant that they can always come back to. To think about it another way, there is never a time where we come before the throne of God that God will ever say to anyone, no, you cannot be in my covenant. There is nothing that you have done where now you come to God and God says, no, you've crossed the line too far and you cannot belong as my people. You cannot be my children. You cannot enjoy the blessings. The covenant of peace will not be revoked. It stands firm like the covenant that God made with Noah to never flood the earth again. A covenant now stands that he has compassion for his people that he will not take back. And has created a covenant through the servant who has died for sins so that we can be the children of God, though we should be desperate in our sins. And that's why the first word of chapter 54 was sing. There should be great joy that there is always opportunity to belong as God's people, to always be able To belong to this covenant and enjoy the blessings that come from that. In fact, he's going to describe now from verse 11 to verse 17 all the blessings of belonging to the covenant of peace. As if it weren't enough for what we've read in Isaiah of him calling people, will you come and enjoy the blessings of God? God says, well, let me tell you some more reasons why you should belong to me, why you should be in my family, why you should be in my covenant. I'll give you some more reasons. Verse 11, 
O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of jasper, your gates of carbuncles, and with your wall of precious stones. Now you read that, you kind of go, huh? O afflicted one, you're going to look pretty, right? You're going to read that with these stones. And you go, what are you trying to say right here? Why all of this imagery of, of what's happening here? But I want you to recognize he's giving this imagery of you were the afflicted one. But now you're going to become beautiful. I'm going to set your foundations. I'm going to make this glorious. And when you read those words, it's not revelation. Chapter 21 kind of start jumping to the mind of all of those precious stones and beauty of the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ that comes down. Here's Isaiah looking at that. Here's Isaiah describing his people, this new Jerusalem, his people of God, the wife to the husband of the Lord here now in all of its beauty. And to try to get our minds around why that's important. I, I just as I was working on this, I thought of something. We, we went to the fair uh, a couple of weeks ago. South Florida fair, every year it seems now they've got the tradition of a really huge sand sculpture. I, I always think those are amazing. I mean, they're like gravity defying, you know, you got sand doing things that just shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Somehow you go, how is that even happening like that? And everybody stands around it and takes pictures and look at it and you go, man, that is amazing, the design. And and it's just unbelievable how they could do that. But nobody would do that if every year all they did was back up a dump truck of sand and there was just this big mountain of sand there every year. And we'd all just walk by it and go... Whoopee-doo, it's a big pile of sand, you know. you, you got to do something with it. You have to make it beautiful. You have to do something glorious with it. This is the idea of what God is saying. Without Him and our sins, we're just sand. We're just there. But God wants to make something glorious. He wants to do something with you. He wants you to belong to His covenant, to belong to His kingdom, to belong to something great. That's what 1 Peter 2 is talking about when he says, you've come to the living stone and he's using you as precious stones being built up into this glorious temple, this glorious house. We're just sitting here like a rock. There's nothing, you know, I never saw you. Hey, there's a rock. Wow, you're going to take that home. No. God says, I'm taking the afflicted and I'm building them up. And you're belonging to this glorious covenant. And you're belonging to this glorious kingdom. And you're belonging to this glorious family. And so he's using that kind of imagery when he says, I'm setting you as stones. I'm I'm laying your foundations. I'm building you. He's not talking about building a physical city. Just as much as in Revelation 21, we see the glorious new Jerusalem coming down. And he describes all of its splendor and beauty. What has happened? God has made His people glorious. That's what's happened. Enter into the relationship with God. Enter into the covenant with God. And here is the picture is that God will give you beauty. God will give you purpose. He will join you into His kingdom. And you belong to this glorious temple of God that's now available through the death of Christ. And here is Isaiah looking at it and saying, Oh, something glorious is happening. Come to the covenant Come to this covenant of peace that I've made with you. 
And you can belong to something that is so important. You belong to the plans and purposes of God. And you get to be joined to His kingdom. And you get to be His children. And you get to enjoy a relationship with God that is unparalleled. Number two, verse 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children in righteousness. You shall be established. This is an amazing declaration. When you're in the covenant, he says, God's children are taught by God. We don't necessarily think about it that way. In belonging to Him, here He says, you now get to enjoy being taught by God. Now remember what Isaiah has depicted throughout, is that the people have not wanted to be taught by God. Remember, Isaiah's commissioning, go and preach to them, I want you to go teach to them, who is going to go for me? Isaiah, here I am, send me. And then God says, okay, now you're going to go preach, And they're going to hear, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to obey. You're going to proclaim and proclaim and proclaim, and they're not going to be interested. And then you get out to chapter 29, where all the people, when Isaiah is preaching, the people say, you know, all that we hear is blah, 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 blah. Rule upon rule, line upon line, precept upon precept. They are criticizing Isaiah. We don't want to hear the things of God. We don't want to hear rules and and, and regulations. We don't want to hear laws and commands and demands. It's just blah, 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 blah. And Isaiah says, you know, in this new covenant, there is nobody who hears the words of God and says, I'm sick of rule upon rule, line upon line. There is nobody that's going to say it's just blah, blah, blah to blah. Instead, they're all going to listen. The people who belong to God listen to God. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus used this for over in John chapter 6 in verse 43. The Jews are grumbling at Jesus. Jesus has said he's come down from heaven. And Jesus' response is, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws in. Okay? You can't belong unless the Father draws you. And then he continues what that looks like. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Here's Isaiah's quote. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And so he uses a great picture here is that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws that person. And that's not going to happen unless you're taught by God. Unless you're listening to what God has to say. Unless you're not hearing His words. This becomes, friends, what makes this book that I hope you are holding in your hands so amazing and so impressive. Because you possess in your hands the Word of God. And you can be taught by God. I mean, that's a staggering concept. You get to hear the very words of God. And those who are His children, Isaiah says, they listen to what God has to say. 
They desire to hear what God has to say. They're not going to be like in Isaiah's day where they go, oh, Isaiah would just stop with the line upon line and rule upon rule and precept upon precept. We've had enough of hearing the word of God already. Not God's children. Those who belong to this covenant desire the word of God. They enjoy the word of God. They want to hear the word of God. It is a joy to them. And then I'd like for you to consider when it says there, all your children will be taught by the Lord. There were many college courses I took where I was there, but I wasn't taught by the professor. I was there in body. I was, you know, I kind of heard what was going on in the room. I took, took some notes down, some things that were important, what I thought might be on the test maybe. But I wasn't taught by that professor. Being taught by God is far deeper than I'm in the room and I kind of hear some of the things of God. That's not being taught by God. I should go apologize to some of my professors that I was not taught by. Spent good money for no good reason, some of those classes. Just was mailing it in. Wasn't being taught. Because being taught by God is not being present. It's not just hearing a few words. It's about hearing what the person has to say and it changes you. You go, oh, I learned that. That makes sense. You grasp it and you're able to regurgitate and go, no, I understand. Here's what it means. You know, every teacher I had said, you know, you're like, oh, I know the answer to that. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I just can't say. You know what they'd say? It means you don't know it. I'd go, no, I really do. No, you don't. It's not about memorization. It's about taking the concepts and the lessons and it hitting your brain in such a way that you go, oh, yeah, I get that. And now I can put in my own words and my own language and it changes my thoughts. And I go, oh, now I can do accounting the right way now. It makes all perfect sense to me. Are we taught by God? Or is it just words in the room? Do we let what God has to say infiltrate the mind, infiltrate the heart, capture who we are, and change our lives? He's saying that's what His covenant people will be. His covenant people will be those who are truly taught. They're not just hearing. In Isaiah's day, they were all hearing what Isaiah had to say. It didn't have an impact. It didn't become part of them. And if it had, they would have had different lives. That's why how often Jesus would say his beginning line would be, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. (laughs) Well did Isaiah speak about you? And remember, he's talking to religious people. They had that law memorized. They could spin us backward and forward in their knowledge of the scriptures. They could have quoted that thing like crazy. But they weren't taught by God. 
That's what Jesus is saying in John 6. You want to come to Christ, you have to be taught by God. And yeah, you can hear all the words and know all that it says, but are you taught by God? Has it changed you? Has it entered into you? Or is it just words on a page? Is it just kind of something there? Beautiful picture of what it means to be in this glorious covenant that he says, I'm going to change your life. Verse 14, in righteousness, you shall be established. If you're taught by God, it's going to change what you do. Righteousness is going to be the output in righteousness. You will be established. Something's going to be seen in you. I hated that, right? Did you ever have any classes that did test you at the end? Why do they do that? To torture us, I know, yes. No. Comprehension. Do you understand? Do you get it? Has it hit the mind? Do you grasp? But God wants it to hit the mind. He wants it to be a grasping. Do you understand? Because it will change who you are. It will change everything about your life. If you're truly taught by God. A beautiful blessing of this covenant. That God's word will make your life completely different. That you will live for right. Not live for sin. Final blessing he describes. Is in the rest of verse 14 through verse 17. Let's pick it up in verse 15. If anyone stirs up strife. It is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Final picture. They are protected by God. When you belong to the covenant of peace, he describes his people, his servants of the Lord. He describes them as being spiritually secure. God is going to deal with those who stand against you. A beautiful image. What about verse 17? No weapon that's fashioned against you will succeed. God is saying, I'm with you. How often the scriptures try to proclaim that if we are part of this glorious covenant, if we're a part of this eternal covenant, if we'll submit our lives to the Lord and enjoy the blessings that come from that, is that God says, I'm with you no matter what happens, no matter what befalls your life, no matter how difficult it may be, God is not leaving That you belong to Him. That He is with you. I I love that in John chapter 10 verse 28 when we got to study that a ways back in, in John. is talking about the sheep hear my voice. The sheep are taught by God. The sheep listen to what God has to say. And they follow that voice. They don't follow any other voice is what John 10 is talking about. And it's to those people this promise. I give them eternal life. You can just stop right there. That's good. That's good. 
Part of the covenant of peace, I give them eternal life. That's good. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You're with God. Joining to the covenant of peace. God is with you. And he says, I don't care what happens. I love verse 15. If they stir up strife, if they bring a weapon against you, God's with you. God's still with you. How about it this way over in Romans chapter 8? A passage you, you know probably pretty well, but slow down over some of the things that he says here. Romans 8 verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't blow by that line. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here Isaiah has pictured. God the Father has sent His Son who has died for sins. He is the guilt offering so that intercession can be made. So that we can be His children belong to the covenant. And now God is shown Himself to be for us. That He has compassion that is not being removed. A covenant that is not going to be taken away. God is for His people. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up great, gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? When we study there, remember, I feel like I've got all kinds of charges against me. Look at all of my sins. Look at all the things that I've done wrong, wrong against God. It is God who justifies God says I'm pronouncing you just I'm declaring you righteous I'm setting you free from that what charge can stand when God says you're my children you're in my covenant I have you with me and there is not a charge that can be brought against you it is God who justifies who is going to trump God on that charge There is no appeals court higher than God that someone's going to say, well, you know, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God justified. There's nobody higher to go to. You're pronounced right before God. A glorious picture of this covenant. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. Who is indeed who indeed is interceding for us. I think that's the covenant of peace in a nutshell right there. Coming to the covenant, God justifies and there can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Christ is interceding. Not past tense, present tense. Still happening. Still needed. Still going on right now. Still operating as your high priest and mine. Making intercession for sins. But who's going to bring a charge against us? No one, because he's interceding on our behalf. That's what makes Isaiah 53 so glorious. 
That's how it ends. Who makes intercession for the transgressors. Next word, sing. Rejoice. Because you are an amazing covenant. And in that covenant, there is hope. And in that covenant, there is blessing. And God is building you up into something glorious and something great in His kingdom, in His temple, in His family. And so we take our lives to Christ who established this new covenant. You know, it's part of what we remember in that Lord's Supper. That covenant is everything. The new covenant that has been established so that sins can be forgiven is everything. May we never forget what we have through Jesus Christ so that now His children are spread throughout all the earth. You can see God's offspring everywhere. His children belong everywhere. His people are everywhere being built into a glorious kingdom. And God is setting us up as these precious stones and built into the structure, secure in the hand of God as long as we are being taught by the Lord, listening to what He has to say, following the voice of the shepherd wherever He goes. When we sing this song, we're inviting you to come into that covenant. We're inviting you to see that Jesus died for your sins and that now you can enter into a glorious covenant relationship with your God so that now you are his child again and you belong to his kingdom and you enjoy the blessings that come from that of eternal life and security with our God. We invite you to see that's why doing all that he says is so important that we begin with will you turn away from your sins and put your hope in Jesus Christ. Turn away from a life of selfish living and serving self and see that Jesus is glorious. He is to be desired and to follow him with all of your heart. Confess Jesus to be the son of God. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. For in that you make your appeal to God. To have your sins washed away. And in that, enter into this covenant. Will you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?